Would you take your Bibles with me and turn to John chapter 4? John chapter 4. We are going to wrap up our time in the fourth chapter of John's Gospel this morning. We're going to look at verses 43 through 54 this morning. Um, I have to admit, one of the uh, one of the premier and most uh, providential means which excites me to uh, to preach on a Sunday morning is the singing of the saints. Uh, is to hear your voices behind me, not the voices from up front. I get to hear those all the time, but but the voices behind me as I sit in the front pew, uh, to uh, worshiping the Lord in in excitement and gladness, ready to ready to engage uh, through the singing, but also in their minds, and hopefully now as the Holy Spirit speaks to us through his word in your hearts. John chapter 4, beginning in verse 43, and I'm going to read through the end of the chapter. If you don't have a copy of God's word, there are zero on the table, which is amazing. Um, So if you're sitting there and you don't have a copy of God's word, um, there are more Bibles underneath the, uh, the, the offering box back there. Feel free to walk back and pick one up. Uh, and if you don't have a copy of God's Word, those Bibles under the offering box are our gift to you this morning. Take that, use it, read it, um, and, uh, and rejoice that God has communicated truth about who He is to us in such explicit detail. John chapter 4, beginning in verse 43. After the two days, he departed for Galilee. For Jesus himself had testified that a prophet has no honor in his own hometown. So when he came to Galilee, the Galileans welcomed him, having seen all that he had done in Jerusalem at the feast. For they too had gone to the feast. So he came again to Cana in Galilee, where he had made the water wine. And at Capernaum, there was an official whose son was ill. When this man heard that Jesus had come from Judea to Galilee, he went to him and asked him to come down and heal his son, for he was at the point of death. Jesus said to him, Unless you see signs and wonders, you will not believe. The official said to him, Sir, come down before my child dies. Jesus said to him, Go, your son will live. The man believed the word that Jesus spoke to him and went down in his way. As he was going down, the servants met him and told him that his son was recovering. So he asked them the hour when he began to get better. And they said to him, Yesterday, at the seventh hour, the fever left him. The father knew that was the hour when Jesus had said to him, Your son will live. And he himself believed in all his household. This was now the second sign that Jesus did when he had come from Judea to Galilee. When people with authority speak, we listen. When people with authority speak, we listen. The the world has changed, though, uh, especially as our view of authority. Let me give you an example. In 1993, nearly 67 million Americans tuned in to watch President Clinton's first State of the Union address. President Clinton asked Americans to join him on a great national journey, not merely to consume the bounty of today, but to invest in for a a much greater one tomorrow. His words were clear. Uh, his, uh, His ideas and plans were unpacked. 
But 67 million people who tuned in to watch the address only represented about 25% of the population. Contrast that with today. A mere eight, uh, 18 years? No, 30-some years later? No, 28 years later? Wow. Note to self, let's not do math from the pulpit. <laughs> Nobody listened to me when it comes to math. Okay. So, contrast that with a substantive number of years in between 1993 and 2021. President Biden, earlier this year, gave his first address to Congress, and about 40 million fewer viewers watched than did in 1993. President Biden's words weren't a whole lot different from the words of President Clinton, and if you watch any State of the Union address, you'll be struck by just how many things are the same over and over and over again. He said that evening was about rebuilding our nation and revitalizing our democracy and winning the future for America. The preamble is typically the same. But more than 91% of Americans did not tune in. In fact, according to several studies, Biden's speech is probably the least watched of its kind since 1965 when Lyndon B. Johnson's administration decided to televise the State of the Union in primetime. We could, we could probably point to a lot of reasons why fewer people than ever are taking note of the president's words. Uh, we could point to something like we're a soundbite culture. We're just interested in hearing the most important details in the shortest form possible. Uh, Todd Gitlin writes, According to a widely cited 1989 study by Kiku Adatu, the average weekday network news soundbite from a presidential candidate shrank from 42.3 seconds in 1968 to 9.8 seconds in 1988. By 2000, the average was 7.8 seconds. We're a soundbite culture. Give me the information in the smallest form possible so that I can go about my daily life. Other reasons why fewer people may be taking note of the president's words is just the fact that we're increasingly politically divided in our day. The fact, or maybe we could point to the fact that the amount of Americans who read seems to be decreasing, depending on what study you're looking at. I said at the outset, when people with authority speak, we listen. And I, I do believe that that's true. But it seems like lots of Americans, though, they don't see much authority when it comes to the presidency. And likely a few fewer people, uh, uh, they see fewer people as authorities in their lives just as a general rule. We would say, yes, if someone with real authority spoke to me, I, then I would listen. But does anyone ha really have that authority? In times past, medieval, ancient times, if you lived in a monarchy, which nearly everyone did, a king might issue a royal decree to the people. It would be read aloud to the people, 
and, uh, and the punishments or the penalties for not adhering to the king's words would be, would be clearly defined. Fines or imprisonment or even death would ensure the effectiveness of the king's decree. But not listening to a presidential address carries no penalty uh, outside of feeling just a little twinge of guilt about being uninformed in an information age. I should really know what the president said, we say. And then we go about our lives as if it never happened. And even in times past with penalties and punishments outlined, there was no way a king could ensure 100% compliance from his, from his subject. This, this passage this morning that I read from John chapter 4, this passage is about a king. This passage is about, and you say, well, of course it's about a king. We're, we're talking about Jesus here. And you're right, but I think if I ask the question to you this morning, if we pose the question to 10 people and we read through this passage and ask, what, who, what is this passage about? What does this teach us about who Jesus is? We probably would talk about the healing. And that's valid. That's valid. Um, it would be missing some really important ideas if we didn't see that as evident here in this text. But I think what we're meant to see, I think what the Apostle John wants to communicate by putting this story here, right at the end of his interaction with the woman at the well and then the interaction with the Samaritans in their, in their town after those two days, I think what we're meant to see is the effectiveness of Jesus' words. When Jesus says something, it happens. When Jesus says something, it happens. And it brings about more than we could even imagine. So I've got three things this morning that I want you to note from this text. We'll walk through them and then we'll draw, draw a conclusion. The first thing that I want you to see here that's being communicated in this text is that Jesus' word is better than his signs. Jesus' word is better than his signs. In verses 43 and 44, we have this setup. And into 45, we have this setup for this passage. We remember back in chapter 2, Jesus turned water into wine in Cana and Galilee. And now he's back there. He's headed back to Galilee. And people remember what Jesus did. Not only do they remember what Jesus did, but they also see very clearly what he has been up to. They know what he's been doing over the course of chapter 3 and 4 as he spent time in Judea, south of Galilee, or Jerusalem. The text says that the Galileans welcomed him, having seen all that he had done in Jerusalem at the feast. John doesn't give a lot of details about what Jesus does outside of the handful of stories that we have in chapters 2 and 3. He doesn't give a lot of details about what Jesus did in Jerusalem. But if we look at the end of chapter 2 and verse 23, you'll see it on the screen. Uh, John says, Now when he was in Jerusalem at the Passover feast, many believed in his name when they saw the signs that he was doing. And you'll remember, if you remember all the way back to whenever it was that we talked about chapter 2, you'll remember that, that Jesus uh, identified that the faith that was 
um, generated in men and women who observed his signs in Jerusalem was not a faith that was substantive, but a faith that was artificial. And the end of that passage, at the end of chapter 2, we're told that Jesus didn't entrust himself to these people because they were just seeking him for his signs. So in verse 46, when we get to verse 46 here, if you're reading the ESV like I am, you see that there's a little heading there um, in the beginning of verse 46. But when we get to verse 46, we see Jesus make his way to Cana, and then we're introduced to a new character. We're introduced to a man, an official, we're told, whose son was ill. Now, this official is likely a royal official. Um, he's someone with a substantial amount of status in society. Uh, he is a royal official, likely in the court of Herod Antipas, who was a puppet king in Jerusalem, um, just a political, a political just jockey. Uh, Antipas was unfavorable towards Jesus. We'll learn that throughout the gospel, um, and we learn that throughout the New Testament. And so it would be a bit surprising that the official would seek Jesus out. If we were reading this as a first century reader, we'd read this, and we'd just see official here, and we're just like, okay, whatever. But when, if we were to read this, uh, read John's account here, we would see official, and we'd think to ourselves, oh my goodness, that, that guy came to Jesus? That's pretty, pretty wild. And even more surprising is that a royal official probably earned his title by some political power play. He was likely rich, upper-class Jew, and as a result, would have been pretty non-religious. He, he wouldn't have had much of a thought when it came to Jesus um, or uh, anything about practicing, practicing his religion. Uh, that's not uncommon even in our own world. People who have a lot of earthly comforts, who claim to be religious, but if their religion of choice was, uh, just went away tomorrow or was proven to be wrong, or uh, nothing would really change in their life. And we see that sort of everywhere. That's this man. That's this man. If uh, Judaism was completely refuted tomorrow for this guy, his life really wouldn't change that much. His life would go on pretty much as normal. So this official, though, had heard about Jesus and the stuff Jesus was doing in Jerusalem. Maybe he even witnessed the water into wine. And so it seems as though, I think we're led to believe that he's just like, hey, I'm just going to roll the dice on this, right? My kid is sick. I need, some, I need someone to come and, and maybe help him out. Some other options may have not have worked well for him, but he's going to roll the dice and see if Jesus could do something. He thought, well, nothing else is worse. I'll give Jesus a try. We'll see what's up. Uh, this is a really poor way to approach Jesus by the way, and, and a lot of times uh, in our world, sometime, uh, we're, we're told, uh, hey, when you do evangelism, when you tell others about Jesus Christ, just, just pose it like this. Just say something like, hey, you ought to give Jesus a try. That's, that's not a great way to tell others about Jesus. Our gospel presentation ought to be repent and trust Jesus for the forgiveness of your sins, not just give Jesus a try like he's, a, he's like, it's like, oh, sleep on this mattress for 365 days. If you don't like it, we'll give you your money back. It's not the way that this works. Or just, uh, I'm going to go down to the used car dealership and drive a car around the block and see if it's something that I like. That's not the way Jesus approaches us, and that's not we, the way we should approach others with the gospel of Jesus Christ. 
But this is the way that this man is thinking. Hey, I'll give him a try. We'll give it a shot. We'll see if he's got anything to offer me. He's done some stuff. I've heard some reports. Let's give it a try. And so the official asks Jesus to heal his son. He said, uh, the text says, he went down to him and asked him to come down and heal his son, for he was at the point of death. And note what Jesus says immediately, the end of verse 48. He says, unless you see signs and wonders, you will not believe. Jesus immediately sees through this man and knows that he's come to him just because of the signs and wonders that Jesus has performed. And then we're drawn back to verse 45, and this official is lumped in with these other Galileans who have welcomed Jesus because of the signs that he's performed. Jesus here, though, is looking for faith bigger than that which requires seeing signs to believe. He's looking for something more than just sign-seeing and seeking. But what becomes wild about this text in particular is the man just repeats himself. He says, sir, come down before my child dies. Jesus doesn't wait for faith bigger than just a sign-seeking faith. But what he says next shows us he's, he's going ahead anyways. Jesus said to him, go, your son will live. Go, your son will live. Jesus knew very clearly that this man was just here because of the signs that he had heard that Jesus had performed and he maybe even witnessed himself. But regardless of this man's motivation for showing up and asking Jesus to heal his son, Jesus goes ahead and says, Go, your son will live. And immediately, immediately, right after that, in verse 50, we're told the man believed the word that Jesus said, spoke to him and went on his way. The Jesus' words are better than his signs. It's the word that Jesus speaks in which the man believes. This man had no visible proof that Jesus' words were true, but he believed and he departed for home. And then that leads us to the second thing we see in this text. I want you to track with me through this one. Track with me. Jesus' word is better than his physical presence. The, the official goes down, or he goes on his way. The text says, uh, he went down, as he was going down, his servants met him and told them that his son was recovering. So he goes on his way. The servants tell the officials that his son is recover, or the official that his son is recovering. And then they start, that, the, he asks them when, and they say the, at the seventh hour, he says, okay, very, very same hour that Jesus spoke to me. Christians often make the mistake in our world of thinking how, somehow, right now, and where we live in 2021, that somehow something would be different if Jesus were physically present with us. This is not what this passage in the New Testament communicates. In our passage this morning, when Jesus was physically walking the earth, what this passage communicates is that 
Jesus' word is as good as his presence. Jesus' word is as good as his presence. So when he spoke, it was, it was just as effective as if he walked to uh, the official's home and spoke to the son, his son directly. But we're told, since Jesus has ascended into heaven and is physically present at the Father's right hand, we're told right now that, that, that Jesus' word for us in 2021, ever since Jesus ascended to this very moment, that Jesus' word is better for us than his physical presence. Peter, one of Jesus' disciples, even writes that Jesus' word is better for us than his physical presence. Peter reminds his readers. But G- Peter stood with Jesus on the Mount of Transfiguration, saw Jesus take on his heavenly resurrection body. He watched him and he heard the voice of God say, this is my beloved son with whom I'm well pleased. He heard that and he saw it with his eyes. And then he writes in 2 Peter, and we have the prophetic word more fully confirmed, to which you will do well to pay attention as a lamp shining in dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. What Peter is saying in 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 19, he's saying that what you have right now, believer, what you have right now in Scripture is better for you than Jesus' physical presence. That's what he's saying. That's what he's saying. Peter is saying that God's word, Scripture, is more fully confirmed even than what what he saw with his eyes. What we have in God's word and Jesus' words are the very words of God. And Jesus is God. What we're told is that what we have in God's word right now is better for us than even his physical presence. So in this text this morning, we see that Jesus' word is just as good than his physical presence. And then we're told after his assumption or after his ascension, that, that uh, after his ascension, Jesus' word is even better for us now than, it, than his physical presence. Jesus has the authority to utter a word and to reverse the trajectory of everything. Jesus, Jesus speaks a few simple words to the official and stops the illness of the official son in its track. The boy who was headed in sickness towards death, was now headed towards health and life. When when the king issues a royal decree, when the king issues a royal decree, can anyone resist? Can anything in all of creation resist? What what could stop Jesus' word from accomplishing their purpose for this official son. Some people would say the man's faith. But the man exhibits true faith only after Jesus speaks. The man believes the word after it's spoken. The man didn't conjure faith to strong-arm Jesus into healing his son. But rather, 
This is the third point to see. Jesus' word is better than this man's efforts and is better than ours. Jesus' word is better than our efforts. I said this at the outset, but it's something I really want you to know. What we're meant to see here is the effectiveness of God's word, of the words of Jesus. When Jesus says something, it happens. When Jesus said something, it happens. And it brings about more than we could even imagine. Jesus' words brought life for the official son. Jesus' words brought life and health to this boy. The official gave Jesus a try, and his faith was only based on seeing and hearing about Jesus' signs. It's only through Jesus' word, though, that life came to the boy. And everything that Jesus said would happen, happened. And it happened immediately. And it happened effectively. But, what we see here is that Jesus' word is and does even more than we could imagine or even expect. Jesus' word does more than we can imagine or even expect. Not only does the word heal the official son, but look at verse 53. The end. And he himself believed in all his household. Not only did Jesus' word heal the official son, but it also establishes saving faith in an entire household. The official and his household didn't just believe that Jesus could do signs, like restore a boy's health. The official and his household believe that Jesus could bring about restoration, not in the temporary, but for eternity. He himself believed in all his household. Jesus' words bring about perfect results, including bringing about saving faith in families, changing eternal trajectories, the course that this man and his family was set upon is reversed entirely. Once on a path to death, Jesus speaks, we are rerouted to the path of life. The Apostle Paul is a wonderful example. In Acts 9, Saul, as he was called before his name was changed to Paul, was on his way to Damascus to imprison and to kill some Christians. Jesus knocks him down on the road to Damascus and reroutes his whole life. Paul was a man who inflicted much suffering on followers of Jesus. And Jesus turned his life around, the trajectory of his life, and turned him into a man who willingly suffered for the cause of Christ. Paul didn't change the trajectory of his own life by himself. 
the words of Jesus did. The words of Jesus who spoke to Paul and he said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. But rise and enter the city and you'll be told what to do. Things change and entire eternities change when Jesus speaks. If, if you are in Christ this morning, if you're in Christ, if you're here this morning and you've trusted Jesus for the forgiveness of your sin, you are in Christ and you have personally witnessed the most dramatic change in history. You personally have witnessed the most dramatic change in all of human history. Sometimes we treat the change that has taken place in us uh, like something like, it's just a decision. Should I eat an apple or a banana? But this change that's transpired in your life because of the word that Jesus speaks to you, the word that Jesus speaks about you, is dramatically more important than any decision you will face today. It's dramatically more important than where you go to college or what your career choice is or how much money you think that you should set aside for retirement. It's dramatically more important than, than, uh, than any decision that will come across your plate this week, this month, this year, or in your entire lifetime. And yet, we often give little to no thought of the eternity-altering words of Jesus. Hebrews chapter 1 tells us that the whole universe is upheld by the word of His power. Jesus' power upholds stars and galaxies. Everything that exists in all of creation is upheld by the word that Jesus Christ speaks. And the voice does something far more amazing than just uphold galaxies. He calls into dead hearts of sinners who are hostile to God and awakens life in them. Friends, if you're in Christ, you have personally witnessed the most dramatic, eternity-altering truth that has ever taken place in you. It's your story, and it's my story. These aren't unintended consequences. These are not just words that sort of have some impact over here or over there. They are focused, directed at your heart, speaking life where there is nothing but death. This is exactly what the king decrees. Your very life, your eternity, everything you have and everything you are, it's not an afterthought. It's not just some dominoes falling here and there. It's not the butterfly effect. Your efforts couldn't make it happen. But Jesus' word can and does and will continue 
doing so for all of eternity. Friends, does this not put you at peace? The same voice that spoke and life came to this official son here speaks into your heart and awakens life in you. And when you doubt and when you despair and when you are frustrated, this voice speaks to you through God's word and tells you, I have granted you life. Is there anything that can cause the king's words to be less than 100% effective? Is there anything that can cause the king's words to be less than 100% effective? If it's an earthly king, then yes! He can be opposed. If it's the President of the United States, yes, you can just choose to ignore it. But we're told here that there is nothing in all of creation, a creation that's held, upheld by that very word, there is nothing that can cause Jesus' words to be less than 100% effective. You need to be assured of that this week. You need to believe that truth in your heart. You need to know that God is for you and not against you. You need to know that when He spoke life into you, that life will endure for all of eternity. It's not here for this moment and gone in the next. It's not snatched away from you like a thief can snatch away your TV. It's secured with Christ. In heaven. What about you? What about you? How do you think about this truth that's communicated clearly? Because the king has spoken. The king has made a decree. It's not because of your efforts or the things that you've conjured inside of you. It's not because of the way that you look at him and say, oh, look, he can do the thing that I need him to do. It's not because we so often spend time thinking about God as a vending machine into which we insert a couple of nickels to get a bag of chips. Jesus Christ is the King of the universe, and when He speaks life, it's 100% effective. The King has made a decree. If you're in Christ, if you turn from your sins, if you trusted in Him for the forgiveness of your sins, it's because you have received the life that Jesus has spoken into you. That you are effectively His with no chance of changing it. Jesus doesn't have a a difficult time bringing about what he says he will bring about. And creation, your heart. Earthly kings, again, rely on military or the threat of punishment to ensure that they are listened to. The president is tied to the will of the people or how many people tune into his speeches or the composition of Congress. But the decrees of King Jesus will accomplish everything they set out to accomplish, and that's more than you could possibly understand. When our King speaks, there is nothing that, and no one who can, resist. Sickness is subject to His word. Like the official son, our very hearts are subject to His word. Like the official's entire household. Do you, do you believe Jesus' word? Do, do you, this morning, believe 
Jesus' word. The beginning of saving faith for the official was when he believed the word that Jesus spoke to him and went on his way. Do you believe that Jesus can accomplish everything that he says he will? Do you believe that? There's good news, he can. Do you believe that it's really your efforts plus his that'll get you somewhere? You'll be tempted today to think that you will. You'll be tempted this week to think, I'm doing a pretty good job. There's good news. It's not your efforts plus his. It's exclusively his word that brings you life. Do you believe that faith is something that you have to conjure up to get God's attention? For him to do good towards you? (laughs) No! That's good news! That's good news. Take the pressure off of you. You don't have to make it. You don't, you don't have to conjure it. God gives it freely. He establishes faith in entire households with a word. Do you believe that if Jesus was physically present in your life, it would create a difference? There's good news, friends. He is sitting at the Father's right hand right now. He's speaking to the Father on your behalf and on mine exactly where he needs to be. And he sent someone to you right now, the Holy Spirit who dwells in you if you are in Christ, who gives you assurance and utters truth to you through God's word. This is better for us. Scripture is clear. Friends, the words of Christ perfectly accomplish everything that they set out to do. This truth will change your whole week. This truth will change your whole month. This truth will change your entire life. No T is left uncrossed. No I is left undotted. But all of that which Jesus says will come to pass. The prophet Isaiah in Isaiah 55 says it like this, and I'll leave you with this. How fitting that last night we received, I think, more rainfall than we did all in the month of July. How fitting. Look at the screen. Read these words. Meditate on these. Write this passage down and think about this throughout the course of your week. For as the rain and the snow come down from heaven, and do not return there, but water the earth, making it bring forth and sprout, giving seed to the sower and bread to the eater, so shall my word be that goes out from my mouth. It shall not return to me empty, but it shall accomplish that which I purpose, and shall succeed in the thing for which I sent it. That's a problem. Let's pray. God, we praise you for your word. God, would we not be so forgetful as to go from this place and to neglect it? Would we not be so forgetful as to remember the assurance that is stirred in us this morning in this place 
and understanding that you are a God who has made everything and everyone, who upholds everything by the word of your power, and who gives us, clearly gives us life through the words that Jesus speaks into our hearts. God, would be encouraged at the good that's done to us. God, we would be nourished in our souls, in our spirits, even in the difficulties of this week. God, would we see that you intend all of it to build us up, to make us more like Jesus, to cause us to see your majesty, your beauty. God, would we see evidences of your mercy and grace in every area of our lives this week. God, and would we rejoice that you have us where we are God, in that you have given us everything we need. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.